Before we sit down and hear from Dallas Wayne, let's go back and listen again to the opening of the new Missouri Music Podcast, DaleWileyShow.com. Because there was something in the water in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, don't forget me. I'm Brenda Lee, and we're all going to have fun tonight on Ozark Jubilee. Missouri Music Podcast, hosted by music fan and the founder of Slewfit Records, Mr. Dale Wiley. Okay, well, uh, I'm glad today to have my friend Dallas Wayne on the phone with me. Uh, Dallas, I just tried to call you on the wrong number, and now I'm all scared because I've heard all these honky-tonk records about what you're supposed to do if you call the wrong number. I'm afraid I might get a mistress or something. <laughs> all that lonesome 77203 stuff, isn't it? Oh, and, and Leroy Van Dyke. I mean, Leroy, in, in every song, he's either an auctioneer or he's cheating on somebody, one of the two. I like to, if a woman answers, hang up the phone, is uh, <laughs> what I like to call uh, walk-on by part two. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Telecommunications version of walk-on by. <laughs> Hey, congratulations to Leroy Van Dyke, too. Uh, Missouri State Assembly just awarded him uh, 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 some kind of big deal because he's been in the music business for 60 years and still touring, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I understood that, you know, first he was an auctioneer, too. I mean, he really was an auctioneer. And if you wanted to sell your cattle and have Leroy Van Dyke do it, he'd sure come to the farm for you. Yeah, just another fast-talking fellow from the show me state. <laughs> well, tell me about your Taney County roots, speaking of that. Tell me about, uh, you've got plenty of Texas connections and some other places, too, but, but you have some roots to good old southwest Missouri. Yeah, my family's been there for years and years and years in Branson and Reed Spring. They're, they're uh, you know, one side of the family's from, from over, you know, they're they're 12 miles away, and the other one is right in downtown Branson. Uh-huh. Uh, unfortunately, the last of that generation just recently passed away with my mother uh, oh. her in the fall. But I still have some uh, some folks over there in uh, in Reed Springs throughout the throughout that whole area. Yeah, and and as I remember it, when on those days on those Saturday afternoons in in Nashville, when we used to go and and tip a few back, uh, you you and Paul Naples had someone that. Uh, that he just thought was about the prettiest girl he'd ever seen that was one of your cousins. Is that right? Uh, yeah, let me let me get back to that in my brain. But I do recall that conversation, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, you got to beat those gals off with a stick. <laughs> That's right. Well, so, um, Dallas, when you and I first met, you had just recorded an album called Big Thinking and you were doing some recording with that Springfield bunch, and and that was released on Bloodshot, right? That was actually on High Tone. 
Oh, in High Tone. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah uh, High Tone. That was my uh, that was my introduction back into the United States of America. In fact, I recorded uh, while I was still living overseas, just in the process of moving back. Okay. And um, that was when um, Robbie Folks was getting a lot of notoriety, and of course, you had played a lot with Robbie uh, prior to that time, and and after that time as well. And um, tell me about what what made you decide to come back over and and start again on on seeking the gold. Well, I, I missed the reason I moved back to the states is I missed drive through dry cleaning more than <laughs> anything. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we've been over there in in Finland for four years living and another three years before that as far as just almost working exclusively in Scandinavia. Uh-huh. And still living in Chicago those first three years. And it was time to come home. Uh, you know, I still enjoy going back there when I can, and I still enjoy uh, uh, playing over there when I can. But, you know, my wife and I had decided it was about time to come home. Well, and and you moved over there or, or were over there because your wife had a job with a cell phone, like a really nice position with a cell phone company in Finland. Was that right? Well, actually, the the impetus for moving over was uh, going over there with Special Consensus, the band that Robbie and I were in, and I oh. got a record deal offer back in 1988. Okay. And all I could think of then was cool, a free trip to Finland. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I, uh, we were there during the summertime. It was sunny. It was 70. It was beautiful. Everybody smoked cigarettes and drank coffee, and the coffee's great. Uh, the girls were pretty. It was just a wonderful, wonderful place to be. And I thought, yeah, I'll come back here any chance I get. The problem <laughs> is I went back to make the album in December, which is 23 <laughs> hours of total darkness. <laughs> and we went back there, and the thing that actually made the move happen was uh, my kids from a previous marriage who had been living with us in Chicago, they decided they want to go back to uh, Florida to live with their mother. I'd, I'd uh-huh. do something to piss them off so they would go back and live with their mother. She'd do something to piss them off. they come live with me. This happened. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I asked my wife, I said, there's nothing holding us in Chicago anymore. Uh, I'm constantly on the road. Where do you want to live? And she said, same country as you. (laughs) So how she landed the job over there, she came over there during one of the tours, and we were really getting close to making the decision to move. The logistics of it were just, you know, they're they're overwhelming. You know, when you move across town, they're bad enough. But when you move across uh, the world, half the world, it's, it's, it's even weirder. And... We were sitting around the hotel on a Sunday and reading the, uh, trying, attempting to read the Finnish Sunday paper. <laughs> and we thought, well, let's get a look at property. Let's see how much it would cost to buy a house over here, you know. And we're, it's all a what-if premise. Sure. She, uh, she stumbled upon a job in the, in the uh, classifieds for a marketing manager for a cell phone company. Uh-huh. And she said, I know it's Sunday, but I'm leaving on Monday, so I'm, I'm going to call and leave a message and uh, check it out. She, she's familiar with the company and uh, with her reputation. And she called, and the president of the company, who just happened to be in the office, 
decided <laughs> to answer the phone that was halfway down the hallway. Wow. And uh, he said, I'm flying back to Germany in the morning. She said, well, I'm flying back to the States tomorrow, too. And he said, can you come over today and talk? <laughs> and I was kind of suspicious about this. You know, I thought, you know, what the hell? I'm you know, I'm going to take my wife to this, uh, you know, to this strange building and just let her go. There's <laughs> some guy who says he's the president of the company on a Sunday. Right. So I said, look, keep your phone on. I'll drive you over there. Uh, there was a rental car place right there in the hotel. We went down and rented a car and drove out to, to where this place was. And uh, I stayed out in the parking lot while she went upstairs. Uh-huh. And an hour or so later, she came back down and said, well, that went really well. <laughs> I thought, okay, cool. Interesting. You know, you didn't get murdered. That's great. <laughs> uh, and she had, she was flying back to the States the, the next day, and I got home about two weeks later, and one morning, uh, about five in the morning, the phone rang, and it's this guy's secretary. He said, we're coming to Chicago. We want to interview you again. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, how's next Thursday look? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was home and I was off the road. Uh, she went down and had a meeting with them, and she called me from down there at the, the McCormick place at the big convention center where they right. were in town doing this, this show. And she said, well, are you ready to move to Finland? <laughs> and I said, why? She said, because I just accepted the job. Well, there you go. <laughs> And I said, I'm leaving in four days for another tour over there. What are we going to do? And she said, I'll sell the house. Uh, they'll pack it. They'll pay for the move. They'll pack everything up, put the house up for sale, and uh, I'll meet you over there. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, she did. We put the house on, on the market, and within uh, about a week and a half, we had a buyer. <laughs> wow. That's and fun. here we go. And we went over there. We had a wonderful time. It was great. They and was you, had some, you had some big successes to finish Johnny Cash or something. I mean, you, you had a lot of really popular records over there as well. Well, Roots music of any kind from America is real popular throughout Europe. And country at that point happened to kind of be the flavor of the month back then. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I went over to make the record in December. And then we were going to have an album release tour in May because that was the I was doing a play at the time and I, I couldn't get out of out of that until May. And so I thought, well, I'll just go over and do this tour. It looks like a, you know plenty of dates on here. The money's good. This will work. When I got off the plane, I realized that we had a number two record in the country, <laughs> and that was a little disturbing. Because uh, we went from playing Finland's five country music bars to hockey arenas within within that period of that tour. Oh wow! And then you kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it it just it just took off. I was really fortunate. Oh wow! Well, that's a that's a neat thing. Do you how much touring do you do over there still now? Not so much these days. About once every two years, I find myself getting over there. Uh, and it's usually just for, you know, a, a date or two because uh -huh. the radio thing keeps me so busy on Sirius XM. Uh, yeah. I'm 
I'm on the air 50 hours a week. So it's it's kind of hard to do an extended tour these days. <laughs> well, so um, you you did. You really ended up getting a, a great connection, and you moved over to the other side of the microphone, I guess you could say. And and um, tell me, what's it like being being on Willie's Roadhouse and on, on the Outlaw Country Channel? I've been fortunate to be with Sirius for going on 11 years. It'll be 11 years in July. And I watched this company grow from uh, 200,000 subscribers to 28 million households at this point. Wow. Uh, and to watch that from from this seat is is has been pretty incredible. Uh, there are markets for the type of music we play on Outlaw Country and on Willie's Roadhouse that are being ignored by terrestrial radio these days. And it astonishes us to look at the numbers of folks that do listen. Because uh-huh. we're, we're one of the few places they can get this stuff these days. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And so how does that how does that make your job different as a DJ going from what was kind of a very niche market to a much larger audience base? I mean, do you see that in terms of comments, phone calls, things like that? Is it different? Well, there's there's an interesting thing that happens that uh, that still just blows me away because, you know, the numbers we have are, are pretty healthy. But uh, the beauty of it is if you talk to somebody in Nebraska, for example, that listens to us, they think of us almost as their local radio station. Oh, yeah. Because oh, no because doubt. we have taken the place of that, and they'll say stuff like, oh, you ought to do so-and-so on the show. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is a nationwide broadcast right now. <laughs> uh, worldwide, when you, when you take in the uh, the Internet, portion of right. this which is growing very rapidly because that's how people are getting a lot of their satellite radio these days is through smartphones or, or through the yeah. internet. Uh-huh. And I, I, I find myself sometimes thinking to myself, you know, you wouldn't ask CBS or NBC or ABC to do that. Uh-huh. But they think they, they've taken such personal pride and ownership of this format that it is, it's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it seems, I mean, all of you guys do a good job of being very approachable, you know. I mean, it it doesn't seem, and, and maybe a little more colorful than they're used to, you know, with people playing playing records on, on bigger formats. Do you think that has a part of it? Well, one of the great things that little Stephen Van Zant, uh, who is our, our, our guru for Outlaw Country, one of the things that Little Stephen insisted on in the beginning was to not hire radio people, hire okay. musicians to do these shows. Okay. And so that that helps a lot. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Cook, of course, is still touring full-time. Steve Earle tours, obviously, still. Mojo right. Nixon doesn't tour as much as he, uh, as much as I think he should. But he's he's just pretty happy just hanging around in his underwear, so it's okay. Uh, Mojo Mojo was quite a colorful 
interview subject yesterday. I will have to tell you that was I can fun. only I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> He's something else, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he is he is, a, he is a great radio mind. You know, people uh sometimes fail because he is a rather shall we say bombastic bombastic and colorful personality. <laughs> and, uh they forget what a good radio man he is. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he he really he knows how to do it, and and boy, he is, uh, he he just has something to say for every subject. He he was really fun to talk to. You can talk to Mojo Nixon about anything. He knows, you know, and he knows what he's talking about. He's just not talking BS. He's 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 really really giving you. He's well read. He's a very thoughtful person, and yeah. uh, it's, an, it's an incredible package. And he can sure use the word pecker a lot. I will tell you. He's right up, he's right up with LBJ in his use of that word. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a pistol. <laughs> well, so Dallas, what's your favorite part of of the two stations you you deal with? What what's your favorite part or channel, I guess I should say? I I love what happens on Outlaw Country because we get to break new artists, we get to bring in music like that. But the thing uh-huh. that the thing that has become a big focus for me, honestly, is is Willie's Roadhouse. Okay. Uh, because this music, the classic country music and the classic country songwriting, to me, is America's poetry. Uh-huh. And I never I never thought it got a fair shake as as a valid piece of literature. Oh yeah, you know the the Willies, the Chris Christophersons, the Harlan Howards, the Hank Cochran's. Those those were our teachers. Uh, Bill Anderson, I put him in that category too. Yeah, uh, just brilliant, brilliant songwriters. The very best at what they do, and the songs were sung by some of the greatest voices in the history of the music, and played by some of the greatest musicians on the planet. Yeah, and. For better or worse, and I think while, you know, shows back in the in the 70s like Hee Haw and, I don't know, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, that kind of stuff, kind of portrayed country music as kind of a, a music for, for bumpkins. And hopefully now people can go back and listen to it and realize what an art form it truly is. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I think that I think part of it too is I think you know Paul Henning and some of those people that were involved in those shows. I don't think that they meant for it to be treated like that because you know they brought some some of the very best performers on there. But I think that at the time and the way that you know people just weren't used to looking at at country records and thinking, boy, this is right up there with the grapes of wrath. But you know now you listen to. Serving yeah, Merle, Merle and Mickey Newberry and those kind of writers, you know, and, and, and Chris and, and Willie, they changed the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt. I was going through my show prep for the show this morning, and today was the day that uh, Roy Clark made his debut on the Beverly Hillbillies as Cousin Roy. Right. Also, also one of the few times you got to see him cross-dress, too, because he played, <laughs> he played the sister as well. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Groundbreaking well, television there. <laughs> Him and Milton Burrow. 
Well, not only that, but they had the, you know, they had Flatten Scruggs on there a lot. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and then obviously the Andy Griffith show with the different versions of the Darlings and everything, They there was some great music represented there. There was, and uh, and I think the musicians had a lot to do with that because, uh, with, with for example, with the Dillards, they were so involved in the West Coast country music scene at the time uh-huh. that they were getting session calls. You know, they were playing on sessions with uh, the the Wrecking Crew guys. Sure. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, they were just uh, astonishing. I mean, that and, and you know, there's just nothing better than. The Darlin's version of Dooley, that's that's right up there. <laughs> <laughs> that'll that'll break it, bring a Missourian out of his coma. <laughs> All no. you got to do is play the Dillard's land Dooley, and he snaps right up. <laughs> there you go. Now, um, you know, along those same lines, I tell you one of the things. Obviously, you know, I, I've known a lot about country music for many years. It's always been a passion and a hobby of mine, and and. I, I really love those records. But I will have to say that Willie's Roadhouse has really introduced me to the singing of Carl Ballou. You know, I mean, he's one that gets played quite regularly on there that I knew him as a songwriter, but I didn't know what a great singer he was. Yeah, perfect singer. Uh, I, there there are a couple of bands like that that we've kind of taken on as pet projects, one of them being Cliff Bruner and his Texas Wanderers, which I think was one of the greatest Western swing bands on the planet. Uh-huh. Had uh, Moon Mulligan in that band, and, you know, it was just a yeah. great band. Yeah. And uh, Bob Wills, of course, kind of overshadowed what they did, but, sure. you know, there wasn't any bigger bigger band in the uh, in the southeast Texas area than Cliff Bruner's Texas Wanderers. Yeah. Well, and so I mean, is that a is that something that Jeremy Tepper does, or is that something all you guys do? I mean, how do you make those decisions about? Well, I guess he wouldn't be involved with the with the Willie's Roadhouse, but how do you decide? Oh, we're going to try to play a little bit of this, introduce this. That well, Jeremy of... actually is the program director of oh, Willie's okay. Roadhouse. Well, all right. And uh, I have become down here in Texas kind of his scout. If there's a, a new artist that sounds old, as we say, <laughs> uh, you know, I will I will make sure he gets a copy of that record. And uh, and he's got a great ear. He's got a wonderful oh, yeah. ear for not only the outlaw stuff, but also for the classic country things as well. well I mean, he's he's had a great. I, I mean, he's been great for many years in terms of what he's done with the compilations and everything else. I mean, he really knows his stuff. He surely does, and, and that's one of the going back to outlaw country. That's one of the magical things he does. Is is he, for example, my show will sound different than Elizabeth's show. Sure. Elizabeth's show will sound different than Mojo's show. So yeah. the day parts are different because he caters he caters to our our tastes. Right. And he knows there are artists that I don't particularly care for, and and I won't I won't see them very often. You know, right. uh, uh-huh. come up. But uh, he also knows what I like, and he makes sure that it, it, there's a bunch of that uh, available to me to play. Well, yeah, you got to be evangelist too when you're on there. You got to be able to like what you're playing. Oh yeah, you know, you see, I know so many people in 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 the radio business that have traveled from station to station and format to format, and you can tell 
they may change their air names as they go to different towns. But you can tell, by God, they just hate what they're doing right now. It just oozes out of the out of the car speakers. Well, um, so just so that everybody gets a sense of it, on on both sides of the dial, who are some of the people that you really love to play? Uh, on the outlaw country side of things, uh, I, I've always been a big fan of the steel drivers, which, you know, of course, led me, of course, to Chris Stapleton as a, sure. as a as a pure vocalist. I think he's one of the most exciting singers I've ever heard. I have a great heterosexual man love for Jamie Johnson. I think he's <laughs> probably one of the people that will save this music for years yeah. to come. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I... I still stutter around Emmy Lou Harris. I can't stop it. Oh yeah. yeah. She just turns me into a tongue tied fourteen year old every time I'm, every time I hear her sing or talk oh, to her yeah. in person. Yeah, she's something else. And of course on the Willie's side, uh Willie. Uh-huh. Uh, number one. Uh uh-huh. her haggard right there with him. Yeah. Uh we're so grateful to have these two still around and doing what they do. And they're still at the top of their game. You know, the Jane and Jimmy record last year went to number one. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's pretty impressive for guys that are, well, in Haggard's case, he's 78, I guess, and, and Willie's 82. That's yeah. pretty darn good. Well, and, and I think that, I mean, you know, the, the really funny thing is that you could take both of them back their days in in the 60s and you know when most people would consider you know you're young you're an artist and everything but both of those guys are way better now than they were then i firmly maintain that willie nelson is a is is three times the guitar player that he was oh i mean even, his guitar playing even as soon as 15 years ago oh his guitar playing has has just dramatically improved over the last few years it's really amazing to see it just scares me to death. <laughs> but that's certainly not the blueprint that anyone would have kind of thought of when they're trying to plot out someone's career. I mean, it's it's not the idea of, you know, deepening what you're doing and, and changing it. Maybe you think of that as a novelist, but not as a as a singer. And and that kind of goes to your theory about the uh, these being the great literature of, of America. Yeah, and they're both still writing well. Uh, Merle's got an album in the can that is just great, and, you know, Willie, of course, he cranks out albums like, uh, I don't know, Catholic Women Do Children. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you can take that out if you want. <laughs> oh, I don't know. If I want to leave it in, I kind of like it. <laughs> but uh, they're, still, they're still performing at the top of their game. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's incredible to watch, uh, and it's it's incredible to watch them together. And they are doing a swing through Missouri, by the way. Yeah, um, they I sure are. Cool. They're playing Springfield and St. Louis that I know of. And and you know, Mer- you might be able to speak a little bit to this, but one of the single, well, not single, but one of the two or three greatest things that I ever saw musically was I got to sit in on the first date of a Merle Haggard tour and watch the sound check. And you want to talk about people playing because it was fun and they did well over an hour. 
but just to be able to watch them do the stuff that they wanted to do, I mean, that's just incredible, isn't it? Floyd Domino, who, who plays piano now in The Strangers, Floyd and I have played together quite a bit down here in Austin. And Floyd told me just the other night, he said, I never get tired of the sound checks. He said, some of the older guys, yeah, sometimes they grumble a little bit because they got to, you know, they got to get up out of the hotel room and go do it. But he said, you never know what's going to happen. There's right. always something magical that's pulled out a song that you haven't heard in 30 years. Yeah. And, and everybody just has a ball. Yeah, and it's just so, I mean, the shows are just so different from time to time. Sometimes you may hear all the hits. Sometimes you may may not even recognize some of the songs, but it's really a neat thing. Yeah, that's incredible. And you talk about artists that uh, that, that really flipped my switch. Uh, I have to put Ray Price in there as well. well I miss I, that I man every day. about Ray because you – you developed a real close relationship with him, and, and tell me about that. He he was he's, he was quiet. He was dignified. He was a gentleman, but he was he was the most innately funny human being I've ever met in my life. It was so really? dry, uh, and he'd give you that chuckle and kind of look over his glasses at you, and it's like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I think about him every day. Uh, just just a wonderful, wonderful man, and and a true true gentleman, and a great old school entertainer. Yeah, it would be yeah. funny to watch him walk into a room and everybody just defers to him. Right. You know, even people that that he could have walked into a feed store and it would have happened. <laughs> exactly. not, not because he was Ray Price, but because he was who he was. Yeah. Well, you know, um, he was of that generation that, you know, Hank Thompson and, and he, you know, even lived with Hank Williams. I mean, that's connecting back to the master in a way that very few people can, can say that they were <laughs> involved, you know. I, I Googled, I Googled, uh, you know, that, uh, Google search thing where you can actually street view. Uh huh. I tried to find that house on Wedgwood Avenue. I think it's a drugstore now. <laughs> I was going to say. But I would, I would, I would move to Nashville and buy that house if I had the chance. Because <laughs> if those walls could talk with those two being roommates for six months, especially at that oh. time in their lives, it would have been worth having. Well, I've heard there was a lot of babysitting going on, and and Ray would have been a, a kind of young babysitter for the baby he was asked to sit. But uh, you know, and then <laughs> yeah, pretty you right. Throw, you throw Hank Thompson in there and his Princeton days. I got to he came to my house one time when he played Crane, but um, you know, got to hear about uh, you know Albert Einstein a little bit because he was at Princeton when Albert Einstein was there and talking yep. about some people that saw some things that just seem almost impossible to think about. Hank Thompson was was a, an amazing man because he was he was so gentrified. People didn't realize that about him. It's it's sort of like Minnie Pearl, you know, uh she yeah. was she was Nashville society. Right. You know, Hank Thompson was a wine connoisseur. He <laughs> <It> sure was. <laughs> you were, you wanted to know what wine to drink, by golly, he knew, and he could tell you. <laughs> well, that's that's funny, and un- unfortunately, some of them are leaving us now. So, but Del, tell, tell me about uh, what's coming up for you. Tell me about some of the dates you're playing, and tell me about this new album. 
Well, I'm coming out of retirement uh, more times than Brett Favre, it seems like, over the last <laughs> 10 years or so. Uh, but about every time I think I want to just not do that uh, as far as playing and singing anymore, you just you realize that it's just it's an innate part of you, and you just have oh, to yeah. do it. Yeah. And so we're, we're putting together a new album now. Uh, should be starting to mix this thing uh, within the next week or two. We, we've got a... a a country music cruise to do coming up. This is the time of year to go cruising. Right. And we've got one of those coming up in the Caribbean on the 31st of this month. So after that's done, uh, we'll we'll get back in the studio and finish this thing up, sprinkle some fairy dust on it, and try to get it out. <laughs> and you got some duets coming up on that. Tell me about those. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, this is out of out of almost, well, I guess 13 albums all told. Uh, when you get down to it, but at least 10 that, that people may have be able to pick up on eBay. <clears throat> uh, this is the first all-cover record I've ever done. Okay. And I looked upon it as something that's like, man, I haven't written anything in a while. Uh, what I am what I'm have written, I'm not real happy with. I need to walk out some time to do it, but I don't really have time, but I want to make a record. Oh, what the hell, I'll do a country uh, cover record. Uh-huh. This has turned out to be the most satisfying recording experience of of anything I've done in 40 years of playing. Wow. Uh, it, these songs, like I said, you know, going back to it, these songs are, are just flawless. They're constructed well. They're fun to kind of put your own wrinkle on. And uh, it's exciting to go in the studio with with. Folks like Jeannie Seeley from the Opry, who is is one of those other people that one of those other gals that make me kind of stammer and turn into a fourteen year old. <laughs> I've got to do that with her on the record, and I cut another song of hers that uh, Little Jimmy Dickens had recorded. Okay, uh, that was I thought one of the finest pieces of uh, of lyric I'd ever seen. Uh, huh. And because she always got what she wanted, it's just a, it's just an incredibly well-crafted tune. And then uh, did a duet with Paula Nelson, who I spend a little time with on the radio these days. That's Willie's daughter, who is a great singer, and uh-huh. one with Willie as well. Wow! Um, which we decided to do a fair and young uh, recorded song that Chris Christopherson and Shel Silverstein wrote called "Your Time's Coming." Oh wow! Just a great, great country song. Uh, and you talk about him wanting to play. When we were cutting the record, we'd already cut the basic tracks, and I brought him over there to the to the studio at Love, Texas. And uh, I noticed the trigger was sitting over in the corner, all uh-huh. set up and ready to go with the amp. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, this track's pretty full right now. What am I going to do if he wants to play guitar? <laughs> you can't say no to having Willie Nelson play guitar on oh, a duet. No. You know that 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 signature sound is so cool. So I'm thinking all the time the session's recording. I'm thinking, okay, I can take away one of those fiddles. <laughs> I can, you know, I'm thinking all these things I can do, and he. You know, he got down and uh, listened to the track, and he said, "Oh, by the way, I brought along I brought along a guitar just in case." <laughs> and he wanted to play, and he wanted oh, to play wow. through the whole thing, and it was the it was a delight. It's it, it's a cool track. His guitar playing's on fire. He's singing great. 
Uh, and we just had fun with the time. Well, you know, I think it must be a, you know, I've got to give you a little trouble about this because how can you look at Willie Nelson and tell him that you're retired? With him being 82 and still out on the road, how can you look at him at your spry and young age and tell him that you're retired with straight face? <laughs> I know. Uh, well, I mentioned that one time to Ray Price. Uh, we were doing a gig together, and, and he said, oh, that was a good set. And I said, thank you very much. I said, I don't do this much anymore, as you know. I'm kind of retired. And he said, bullshit. <laughs> he said, the only reason that a singer and songwriter retires is because his booking agent ain't worth a damn. <laughs> well, there you go. You need to keep that in mind. <laughs> and, you know, he had it. He was ready to go on stage any time. And I, I've seen him go on stage when he was, uh, you know, receiving chemo treatments, you know, six hours before. Yeah. Uh, I've seen him hooked up to, I saw Ray Price hooked up to medical machinery on his bus. Wow. 40, min 40 minutes before a gig. Yeah. Uh, and he just took it all in stride. Yep, that's what I got to do. And he walked out on stage and, and just blew him away. Yeah. And and I remember seeing him a couple times backstage on some of those uh, tours that he and, and Merle and Willie used to do together. And never let you know that he was having any distress. If he didn't, you know, he, he wanted to be out there and, and be playing the game and not, not pretending like he was hobbled either. And that was the beautiful thing about the, uh, that, uh, last of the breed tour. Yeah. That's what I mean. Was, was those guys would each of them kick it up a notch because they wanted, they didn't want to look bad in front of their friends. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and it was, the musical moments of that thing was some of the best. You get that still today with the Django and Jimmy tour, the, the Merle and, and Willie tour that's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> you get those guys together and it's just like, okay, I'm going well, to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best on this one because that last verse you just sang knocked my hat in the crate. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I think, and, and I think it's just the nature of people not to think of it in this term, but, I mean, we're looking at truly the last of the breed. I mean, when you look at what has now considered country music, and I use that term very lightly with some of this stuff, how can you even – I mean, they're not going to be another Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard. Those people, they're, they're just not going to happen. No, uh, at, least, at least to our generation. Now, I – in theory, and it, this is sort of like the presidential election uh, this year. You don't you don't think any of this can actually happen? You know, it, it's gotten crazy and crazy and crazier. And yeah, and but the same with this music. I the rational part of me says out there somewhere is an artist that will speak to their generation. Yeah, and do it do it with uh, artistic credibility. Right. Uh, but I'm the darker side of me and the more pessimistic side of me says, hell, I don't see it. And number one, and number two, it, it's not set up that way anymore. No. Used to, used to an artist would, uh, get signed by a label and labels have like a five or six year plan to develop that artist and to find the right songs for them and that kind of thing. Nowadays, it's, 
it's two albums and you're done. Yeah, I don't care if the first one. If, I don't care if the first one went platinum. If the second one doesn't sell, you're out of there. Right. And you're back. You're back home at working the VFW in Virginia somewhere. Yeah. And you've got this huge nut to pay from all yeah. your advances and all the right. all the tour costs and everything for the two your two year run. Yeah. I I don't see I don't see that happening unless the model changes, which it is changing where record companies are a little less relevant than, than they used to be, but because of, of, the, of the delivery systems and how people actually get their music these days. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that, that I don't hear discussed as much, not only are we not finding Merle Haggard's and Willie Nelson's, but we're also not finding Lewis Talley's and, uh, you know, the people that, that knew the records and knew how to make them and and heard something there, whether it's John Hammond or, or um, oh the who's the George Jones's guy who was that uh, not Bill well Billy Cheryl too but the Happy Daily you know I mean we're yeah. not having those guys to find those records. Well, there are a few great producers out there. Yeah. Uh, and I I go the gamut from David Cobb to to Buddy Cannon. Uh-huh. Buddy's been doing the, the last, I don't know, six or seven Willie records. He was deeply involved with the Vern Gauss and stuff. Uh, just got a great record on Merle that's in the can that's mighty good. And a new one on Allison Krauss that is going to knock everybody's hat in the creek. Wow. It is, it is country, and it is good. And what, yeah. he, what he specializes in is... is giving these records breath. There's room in there to move. You know, uh, some stuff is so heavily produced these days that, I mean, even it's a matter it's a matter of physics more than anything. You can't fit anything more into the EQ spectrum. Right. But there are some people that are going back and making these records breathe like the old ones did, like the Owen Bradley records, uh, for example, yeah. those kind of things. Those were brilliant, brilliant albums. And if you look on, on who played on it, Hell, there ain't but four people on the record. <laughs> the artist. But you don't miss anything. No. And, uh, and that goes also back to the quality of players as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I, it's, yeah, I'm really glad that you're helping to preserve uh, what's there. And, and I guess in, in the same way, you're helping to introduce the stuff that is going to have to carry us on and, and I guess we've had a couple of good year run with Jason Isbell and and Chris Stapleton and some of those. I mean, with Sturgill Simpson. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of those that guys are... that excite me. Uh, yeah. And you just mentioned you just mentioned the big three to me. Uh, uh-huh. They're bringing something fresh to the music, and they're doing it their way. Uh-huh. They're, not, they're not letting the record companies dictate it. They're not letting even terrestrial radio dictate it. Yeah. Well, I, I, the same way, I just, you know. I, I put David Johnson in there too. That's a nice little force up there. Of some, of some guys that are really doing something. And you've got people like Casey Musgraves and Leanne Womack on the female side that are yeah. that are just playing and singing great and writing great. I mean, my God, Casey Musgraves is one hell of a songwriter. <laughs> well, and we know that Elizabeth Cook someday is going to come out and make that record that's just going to make everybody 
Tonight, now she's you know? got she's there's another one that's got a new record coming out that I, I I hear some great things about. I haven't heard any of the, the tracks yet, but but it's going to be another good one, I think. Yeah. So we've got some people to rely on. I just don't want anybody to not take the chance to see Waylon to see Willie Nelson or Merle Haggard if they get the chance. Put it on your bucket list. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that one down the road. <laughs> it will truly, truly change your life. Oh, absolutely. Well, Dallas, is there anything else that I mean? Do you have anything else you want to tell us about coming up, or any shows that that need to be plugged? No, gosh, no. I'm going to go back into retirement as soon as this record's released, and uh, <laughs> you won't hear from me for years at a time. Well, I'm going to be there when uh, when you have to tell Willie that. <laughs> yeah, but I anyway. can't. I can't look him in the eye and tell him that because because <laughs> like you know that does that just doesn't fly. <laughs> well, um, he, he's too good a poker player to have that uh, gravity <laughs> effect on him at all. Well, Dallas, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for being here, and I appreciate your time. Dale, what a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, it's been too long since we've seen each other face-to-face. Oh, I know. we got to get that done for sure. Well, thank you. Mighty fine. Take care, Park. All right, you too. Well, thanks. I'll cut that up and um, and cut it down and everything. And I do have one request. There's a little yeah. gal in Crane, Missouri, Diane Hauser, who is as old country a fan as there is, and her favorite DJ is is Dallas Wayne, and she wants the next time you're around Knuckleheads or around wherever to come up and see you. So can you just give me a nice little hi, Diane, so that I can clip it off and give it to her? Sure, you betcha. <laughs> hey, Go Diane, on. this is Dallas Wayne, and uh, next time I'm in the Show Me State, you better be there. Look forward <laughs> to meeting you. All right. Well, listen, man, I'll talk to you later, and, and if I get down to South by Southwest, I'll look you up. And now, end your week with some really big news from Travis Hughes, com. Second and listen. Here. There we are. Okay, man. So now, I'm talking today again to Travis Hughes, but I really wanted to talk about a text that you sent me saying that you are thinking about doing something really cool, and I wanted to tell everybody about that. Well, if the Lord's willing, next spring, I'm going to go to college and help take arts and painting classes. Oh, wow. How did that come about? It just kind of, I prayed about it to the Lord the night that I want to do something with my life. Well, is connecting with all these people helping you to see that that's a, a thing that you could do? I love that. Yeah, it's something that I can do and enjoy for my life. And wonderful. And so, what kind of what college is this at? It's at Crowder at Cassville. Okay. And so, how many days a week what will be involved? I think like five days a week. Really? Wow, that's a big schedule. That's a really big deal. I hope that everybody knows like how exciting this is. For you and me and everybody. I love that. I just want to keep myself busy. I don't think about mom and dad every day. Yes. Well, that's a very good idea. And so what kind of art would you want to do? Oh, like uh, painting like ocean scenes, mountains. Okay. 
And so how far along are you in this process? What's next? Well, I have to wait till next spring to find out. Okay. But you're already preparing for that. That sounds amazing. Have you done a lot of art in the past? No, I haven't done art in the past, but... <laughs> well, did you, you you did some art in Rita's classes, right? In Rita Hewitt's classes. Yeah, and then I've watched Bob Ross on 21 a lot. And that's, <laughs> and that's where I wanted to learn. Well, let me tell you, that is great, great information and great knowledge. And I love Bob Ross. So that's amazing. I love that. You know that I wrote a song about Bob Ross years ago. Uh-uh. Yes, I did. And so anyway, it's just very funny, all the things you find out. But how cool is that? Travis Hughes, college student. I just can't wait to start next year. That is just wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. That is definitely an amazing moment for a Friday afternoon, and a beautiful Friday it is. And just keep your heads up, people, and keep yeah. praying. And keep praying and keep washing your hands. Yes. <laughs> what a great way to end the Friday. I love it. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you later. Make sure to sign up for the mailing list. Text DW Show to 22828. Thank you very much. DaleWileyShow.com.